You can open your Bible to 1 Peter 1. We'll be there this morning. Pretty much our whole time. I don't think we're going to any other passages of Scripture. I can recall off the top of my head right now. I would like to take the time to read the entire chapter. First Peter 1, entire chapter. And as we read, try to, as best you can, follow what Peter is saying. And our target this morning is verses 22 through 25. And all that we see in those verses comes out of what Peter says at the beginning of the chapter here. Okay? So let's read. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, 
Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This week I'd like to focus on those final three verses, verses 22 through 25, and then next week we will connect these verses back to the entire chapter and find the fuel for the love that is commanded here. And I'm hopeful that these two weeks, this week and next, will serve to give us some direction and some place to focus our attention and our energy and our prayer and our life together this year. That we would become a body of believers who loves one another fervently. So the central command of what Peter gives to us in verses 22 through 25 is the command at the end of verse 22 to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We are commanded to love one another. Who is it that we are to love? One another. And that means that it goes both ways. We're not commanded here to love the world. We're not commanded here to love lost sinners. We're not commanded here to love our physical, biological family. We are commanded here to love others who also receive this command. And thus, that means that this is a command that affects the relationship in churches, in local churches. So towards one another, we are commanded to manifest love. This love, though, Peter says, is to be earnest or fervent next week we'll give more attention to what it means to love one another what does that look like this week peter doesn't develop what it means to love instead what he develops in these verses is the word fervently or earnestly love one another earnestly and the second thing that he develops is this love one another from a pure heart. What does that mean? To love one another earnestly. To love one another from a pure heart. How may we do that? Can we do that? Peter first of all tells us that we are to love one another earnestly or fervently. What does it mean to love someone fervently? Well, fervor or earnestness can show itself in two different ways. We can use that word earnest or fervent to speak about intensity, 
love one another with a very intense love. Is that what Peter's saying? We can also use the word fervent or earnest to talk about something that we do persistently without stopping all the way to the end. We are so earnest about something that we pursue it and we pursue it and we pursue it all the way to the end. Which is Peter talking about here? I think the word earnestly here or fervently refers not to increasing the fervor, the heat, the intensity of your love, but instead to loving one another unwaveringly, perseveringly, loving one another steadfastly without giving up all the way to the end. You say, why? I think there's several reasons for that. If we just think about the whole context here, we have a context not of intensity, but a context of imperishable versus perishable. A context of what abides and what does not. And I think the thing that makes this particularly clear for us is if you turn over one page to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, you will see this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end is just about here. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Is he saying love one another with great intensity? No, he's saying the end is almost here, so love all the way to the end. Because love covers... Not just one sin, but a whole multitude of them. Let your love be earnest and ongoing over all the multitude of the sins all the way to the end. And so in 1 Peter 1 verse 22, when Peter says love one another earnestly, he says love one another to the end. Let your love be ongoing. Many church members show love, but their love does not persevere. What makes our love short-lived so that we love for a while and then we stop? Well, sometimes it's that we are provoked. The person who I love is doing something to anger me, to stir me up. And so my love ceases for them. Sometimes it's persecution. And that's what Peter's audience is dealing with. Under the weight of persecution, we can become so concerned with what everyone else is doing to me that I lose focus on the necessity of loving the brothers who are around me. Perhaps personal loss distracts us from continuing to love. The question that Peter is answering here is this. What will keep you loving fervently to the end? And the answer that he gives us here in verse 22 is love one another to the end from a pure heart. You want to love to the end? Your heart must be pure. A pure heart. A heart that is unmixed. A pure heart. Uncontaminated by misplaced loves or misfocused priorities a heart that is single and devoted and focused and not distracted by other things the spring of love is our hearts 
It's where our love comes from. What kind of love flows from a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart that loves fervently to the end, is what Peter is saying. There are no competing affections that distract or divide the heart's love amongst several objects. It is pure. It is focused on loving to the end. And so if we are to obey this command, we must have a pure heart. And that brings up a question. Do we? Is your heart pure? Are you even able to obey this command? To love one another fervently? Is this even possible? And that's what Peter develops for us in the remainder of these verses. He gives us two matters, one in verse 22, one in verse 23, that show us that we are fully prepared and able to carry out this command. With these two matters, Peter shows us that God has been at work to make such love possible. This love is possible. God has prepared the way for us. And in preparing the way, God has given us direction about the kind of love we are to display. He also, through these two things that we will look at, issues a call. Come, because of these things, love one another earnestly. He issues a call to us to love this way. And so what we were going to see here in these two matters, verse 22 and verse 23, is a report of what God has done. God has prepared the way. But it's also something that is supposed to motivate us to love. So what are these two things? Verse 22. We have been sanctified through the gospel. And verse 23. We have been begotten anew through the word of God. So verse 22. What has God done? We have been sanctified through the gospel. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because you have purified your souls, Peter says, you are to love fervently from a pure heart. Let's look at a couple of these words and try to connect loving with purification. Peter tells us in verse 22 that we have purified our souls. And that word purified is actually just the standard word in the New Testament for sanctification. Being made pure. We have been sanctified. We have purified our souls. Purified our souls, so love one another earnestly from a pure heart. They go together. The purification process gives us a pure heart so that then we may love one another earnestly. And Paul uses a word here when he says, having purified your souls, he uses a word that's close enough to the word pure heart in verse 22 to let us know that they go together. The purification in verse 22 is what leads to the pure heart so that we can love one another fervently. But he also uses... A word that is sufficiently different from the word for a pure heart in verse 22 to let us know exactly 
what this purification looks like. It's a purification that sets you apart. It puts you in another world. It moves you. It separates you from what it used to be like. Let's think for a minute about how we are purified. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. How are we purified? The answer is by our obedience to the truth. What does Peter mean by obedience to the truth? Is that something that we, is that a bunch of, of, of truths that God has given us that we must obey? When Peter speaks of your obedience to the truth, he is speaking to us of our faith and hope in the gospel. What brings about this purification? Answer, faith in the gospel. You say he talks about obedience. How do you find faith in that? Well, let me show you four reasons that I think your obedience to the truth is another way of talking about our faith in the gospel. Okay? The first is, what is the truth that we obey in the passage? You obey the truth. Well, what is the truth? Keep reading the word of God, which is, verse 25, the gospel, which was preached to you. So the truth in the passage is the gospel, the good news. How do you obey good news? If you read good news in the paper, that we have been at war and now it's over, how do you obey good news? Answer, you believe it. You hope in it. That is what obedience to the truth of the gospel looks like. Secondly, flip over to 1 Peter 4, 7. Therefore, I'm sorry, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And I have the wrong reference. You can go and look up the word obedience in First Peter, and there's only one other place it occurs, and I'll have to find this for you later on. But Peter speaks of our obedience to the truth, obedience to the gospel. When Peter thinks about obedience, he's thinking about it in terms of obedience to the gospel. And so in verse 22, when he speaks about our obedience to the truth, he's speaking about our faith in the gospel. How do we obey good news by believing it? The third reason I think that obedience to the truth refers to our faith in the gospel is because of what it produces. What does this obedience to the truth produce? Answer, earnest love. What is the relationship between obedience to the truth and love? Well, what produces love in the rest of the New Testament? Galatians 5, 6. It is faith that works itself out in love. In 1 Timothy 1, 5, love comes from a sincere faith. Where does love come from? Faith. 
What comes here? Love. Where does it come from? Faith. What is obedience to the truth? Faith in the gospel. And the fourth reason why I think this is because Peter says, you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Well, what purifies our souls? The same word occurs in Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, where it says, your faith has purified your hearts. It occurs in chapter 1, verse 21 of 1 Peter. Through him, you are believers in God, believers who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. In other words, the purification, both in this context and throughout the rest of the New Testament, comes from faith. So purification comes from faith. Love comes from faith. So what do you think the obedience to the truth is in this passage? It is our faith in the gospel. But notice who actually performs this act of purifying. Who does the purification? In verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, you love one another. Who purifies our souls? We do. Through our faith in the gospel. We are the ones who bring about this purification. Does that mean that I go to work inside my soul and clean it all out? What happens when you believe? God goes to work and cleans it all out. And your faith actually takes you and purifies you. It sets you apart. You're not like the rest of the world anymore. You are a believer. And guess what God does to believers? A lot of things, including preparing them to love. And so as a believer, Peter is saying, you're in a totally different camp. You exist in a new world. And so when you believed, you moved yourself. You designated yourself a member of a new world. In other words, it's not actually us who does the purification. God is the one who does that, but he does it in response to our faith and through our faith. And so as we believe, it is us who has separated ourselves unto a new group of people. We are now part of this new world. And Peter speaks to us here about this purification as something that is past and done. You are now purified. Having purified your souls, now love one another. Yes, we have a long ways to go towards being pure, but Peter isn't focusing on that so much. Instead, he uses a word here that lets us know that this purification is actually a sanctification. It is a separation of ourselves. You are now a believer in the gospel, and that puts you in a totally new category. You live in a new world, and you cannot say that you believed and were purified, but yet you still live in that old world. This purification of our souls that takes place by our obedience to the truth, by our faith in the gospel, is 
or produces a result. Having been purified, what's the result of that? Having been purified by your obedience to the truth, you are now prepared for a sincere brotherly love. The end result of our being purified is a sincere brotherly love. The way the verse reads, actually in the original language, Peter takes for a sincere brotherly love and from a pure heart and he puts them right next to each other. How do we come to a pure heart that loves earnestly to the end? The answer is we need an unhypocritical brotherly love. And that is the result of our souls being purified. This purification leads to an unhypocritical love. It removes the mask so that what comes out is actually what is in there. A pure heart that genuinely loves. And a pure heart that loves fervently. In other words, if the gospel purifies me, then I am pure. So that an unhypocritical love may come out. I have a pure heart from which I may love earnestly. And so my faith in the gospel that purifies me makes possible this earnest love. The gospel which purifies us prepares us to love earnestly. In other words, Peter cannot command unbelievers to love fervently. They're not believers. Their souls are not pure. Any love that they may display is hypocritical. It is not actually genuinely for God's sake, for the other person's sake. There is far too much of self in it. But having believed, we have been purified for a sincere brotherly love, an unhypocritical brotherly love. And so now from our pure hearts, we are to love one another earnestly. Our faith has put us into a whole new world, a world where love reigns. And so Peter's admonition is love, like your faith, is a real and genuine ticket to enter into a new world. Do not live like you are under the reign of the old world. Your faith has actually transferred you. So live like you are part of that new world, like you are part of the world of sanctified ones, <coughs> of saints. The second ground upon which we may stand that makes this kind of love possible is something that God has done to us. And we find this in verse 23. End of verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. The second ground upon which we may stand that makes this kind of love possible is something that has happened to us, but which lies beyond our control. You must love fervently to the end because you have been born again. Technically, if you look at verse 23, the word born again does not quite give us the right sense. Peter is not talking about the birth process here. He's actually talking about the begetting process, the fathering process, the bringing of life, not into this world from the mother's womb, but the creation of life in the mother's womb at the very beginning. Peter says to us, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been begotten again. You have been given life again. 
for simplicity's sake this morning, are probably refer to being born again. But you've got to think of that birth process as connected tightly with the begetting process, the bringing to life. The focus is on then the work of God to father us, to bring us into being as living sons of God. What is the connection between our being born or begotten again and this pure and relentless love that he commands us? Well, I want you to connect a couple of things. Verse 22, the love is to be pure because we have purified ourselves through the gospel. And the love is to be fervent or earnest or ongoing because we have been begotten by the imperishable seed which does not die. Why is the love to be pure? Because we have purified ourselves. Why is the love to be ongoing and undying? Because we have been begotten again by undying, imperishable seed. And so Peter says, we have been begotten again of imperishable seed. If the seed is imperishable, so will be the life that it creates. Why do human beings die? It is because the seed that grants them life, that brings them to life, is perishable seed. It is no wonder then that the life it creates perishes in time. But the life that this seed creates is ongoing. It is undying because the seed is imperishable. Second thing I want you to notice about this is that Paul speaks of our birth as by this seed. Anytime the word seed occurs in connection with begetting, it can refer to only one thing. And that is the father's work to beget life in the womb by the implantation of seed. We are born again of imperishable, undying seed. But what is the source of this undying seed? Seed is imparted by one who is himself alive, passing on his perishable life in the creation of new perishable life. If the end result is to be imperishable, the seed has got to be imperishable, which means the source of the seed must itself be imperishable. Where does this imperishable seed come from? And the answer is that it comes of God himself. God himself, by his imperishable seed, begets imperishable life that never dies. We possess God's own nature then. Because, First John tells us, his seed is in us. His nature is to love. If we have been born again of God's own imperishable seed, what will we do? We will love. If the seed is imperishable because the giver of life is imperishable, what will be the quality of the love that we manifest? It will be an imperishable love. It will be an earnest, ongoing love. Those who have been born again of God's seed will love as he loved. The third thing I want you to look at is what this seed actually is. We've been born again, verse 23, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And then we have this phrase, through the living and abiding word of God. The big question to settle is this. Is the living and abiding word the same thing as the perishable seed? Or is the perishable seed different from the living and abiding word of God? And there are two main possibilities here. The first is what I've given you, that the word of God is the seed. The second is that the Holy Spirit is the seed and the word is not the seed. So that Peter is speaking of both the spirit and the word here. And I don't think that that's quite correct. I do not think that the seed is the spirit. And there are two reasons for that. First of all, because the Holy Spirit is not referred to in any other part of this passage. And so it would be a big jump for us to think of that seed as the spirit. And the other reason why I think that is because Peter says the seed is imperishable and the word of God is imperishable. And so the two, I think, are one, or at least he wants us to think of them as one. So what is he saying in verse 23? You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Peter, what is this imperishable seed? The word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then he gives us an Old Testament quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. All flesh is like grass. It perishes. Why? Because the seed which gave it life perishes. You take a grass seed. It will produce grass, which will perish. Why? Because if you set that seed on its own for long enough, the seed itself will perish. The life in that seed will not exist forever. And so what it produces does not exist forever. All flesh comes from perishable seed. You think about the animal world. Think about the plant world. What life is there on this earth that does not come from seed of some kind? And if the seed is perishable, of course everything perishes. But if we are born again by imperishable seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever, we will live and abide forever. And our love that comes from God will persist. It will be an earnest love. God's word calls forth our love. It commands us love earnestly. But God's word also calls into being the very nature from which that love will come. It calls us to love and it makes us lovers of God's own character. It makes us lovers, possessors of God's own DNA. And this word that was preached unto you, he says in verse 25, is the good news, the gospel. What word is it that breathes new divine life into sinners? The gospel. Through the preaching of the gospel, men are brought to new life. It is the word of God lives and abides forever the gospel that was preached to you by which you have been given God's own divine nature so that now you may love unwaveringly persistently without retreat God's love has no expiration date and Peter says yours must not either so I want to pull all of this together now make a couple of comments and then 
really all we've done is just tried to understand these verses. And we've got a long ways to go next week, okay, and putting it into the rest of the context. But let's see if we can pull this together. Peter's command is that we love to the end. Is that even possible? Yes. You believed the gospel. It separated you into a new community. A community of people who are obeyers of the truth. The result? A sincere love for the brothers. A pure heart means that the love may flow forth unhypocritically, sincerely. Your faith has prepared you to love this way, which means that you cannot say I'm a believer and have no responsibility to love. This command is for every person who has obeyed the gospel. They must love. But secondly, Peter says, love one another to the end since you have been born again of God's own imperishable seed. The gospel was preached to you. It brought to life in you God's own undying life. Imperishable seed brings to life an imperishable nature. So love one another all the way to the end. The love of God in you, the life of God in you will persist. So love to the end. Peter tells us then that we must love fervently. Our love must persist through thick and thin. Such love springs from a pure heart. The gospel purifies our hearts. And the gospel, when it is proclaimed to us, brings new life with God's own dying, undying life. In other words, in both, it is the gospel which prepares us to love to the end. It prepares us to love fervently. And so any place the gospel has gone to work, this must be the result. And that's why Peter says, love one another fervently. What is the church but a community of those who have obeyed the gospel? A community of those who have been born again. A community of those who possess within them God's own undying life and nature. So what would you expect that community to look like? It would look like a community of lovers that persist to the end. And so we are prepared now to love this way by the gospel. Just by being a Christian, you are prepared to love this way. But actually, while the gospel prepares us to love, what Peter has said to us here ought to leave us feeling a little bit like a car that has just been assembled on the assembly line at the factory and has just rolled off the end of the assembly line. Will that car actually drive? And the answer is no. Because its fuel tank is empty. The gospel assembles the car, but what we've seen so far is not enough to fuel the car to move forward. What fuels love? What drives us forward to love earnestly? Yes, we've been prepared for this. It's possible. If you put fuel in the tank, what is the fuel? And how does that produce hope 
Or how does that produce love all the way to the end? And the answer is, if you want to begin meditating on it this week, the answer is in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Hope is the fuel of love. God begets us again to a living hope since you have been begotten again love fervently. And the other connection is that the command to love in verse 22 is actually not a main command. It's actually one way that we pursue and obey another command. And perhaps you saw this as I read through the chapter. Look at verse 13. Therefore, in light of God's salvation that he has brought to us, verses 3 through 12. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is grace in store. You have hope of it. Set your hope on it. What does that mean? It means that as obedient children, you will be holy. Verse 14 through 17. 16. It means that you will conduct yourself with fear. Verses 17 through 21. It means that you will love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Verses 22 through 25. And so on through chapter 2. And so we will trace that down next week and find how hope in our future salvation fuels our love for one another today. We will also look at then what does this mean to love one another? What does such a community of newborn creatures look like? But for today, we have something that is very difficult for us to believe. We think of ourselves, we are sinners, failing, such imperfect people. And the command is to love with God's own undying love to the end. And we think that may be possible once in a while. I might kind of have a little breakthrough but actually Peter says by the gospel you have been prepared to do it you are in a position to love one another earnestly to the end and so we've got to live in that faith not as though this was something that were unattainable that we might achieve once or twice in our lives but something that is possible day by day and week by week for an entire year, for an entire decade, for an entire lifetime. And so let's give attention to that this week and ask the Lord to grant us the faith to really embrace this, that we are prepared to love earnestly. And next week, maybe we can fill up our fuel tanks and love one another earnestly together this week. Lord God, thank you for your work to purify us, to give us your own undying life.
that we might love one another fervently and earnestly. And I pray that you would help us, we are such weak people, help us to believe what Peter says here, that in us is all the fullness of God as you have bestowed it upon Christ and placed him by his spirit within us that we might manifest the love of God for his people. We have not been made gods, but we have been made in your image. We have been given your own divine nature and your Holy Spirit dwells within us. It is your word that has brought us to life. You have begotten us to new life, undying life. Lord, help us to reckon upon these things so that we may be fueled by hope and may pursue genuine, unhypocritical love for one another from a pure heart all the way to the end. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.